Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media, and we'll be Michael Freer. This is episode number 57, the Greg Willard episode, as Willard wore number 57 for 24 seasons as an NBA referee. Willard got his start in the NBA officiating games in 1988 when the league decided to expand its in-game officiating from a two-man crew to a three-man crew. With over 1,500 NBA games under his belt, Willard unfortunately was forced to withdraw his name from Game 6 of the 2012 Western Conference Finals between the San Antonio Spurs and the Oklahoma City Thunder after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. The NBA officials working the 2012 NBA Finals wore a number 57 patch on their jerseys to recognize Willard during his difficult battle. Before ultimately losing his battle with cancer in 2013, Willard was honored with the Spirit of Hope Award by the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Additionally, NBA officials ended up wearing Willard's number 57 patch for the remainder of the following season in 2013. And I think I speak for all of us here at the 48 Minutes show that it's sure nice to bring his legacy to light here as tonight's show honoree with number 57. So um, wanted to give a shout out there to Willard and his family and uh, may he rest in peace. But before we get into tonight's action, I want to remind everybody, Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and the latest matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to, get, to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And tonight, Bruce, I'm going to let you start off by letting everybody know who we're fortunate enough to be joined by tonight as our special guest. Thank you, Ross. For those watching this on YouTube, the gentleman in the bottom left corner is this week's guest. Mr. Sean Powell is one of the most respected journalists in the NBA family. You've seen him many times on TV over the years. He's currently a fixture on NBA TV and NBA.com. Sean's been covering the NBA since the 1980s, although he looks far too young to have been around that long. Absolutely. Right, Absolutely. <laughs> Sean covered all six of Michael Jordan's championships, as well as countless other NBA finals, numerous Super Bowls, World Series, Olympics, Masters tournaments, Wimbledon, and so much more. He's also the author of the book Sold Out. That's S-O-U-L-E-D, Out. Sold Out a study of the modern-day African-American athlete that has received universal praise since it was published more than a decade ago. In addition to all of his achievements, he's a graduate of Howard University and is one of the classiest human beings you will ever meet. And I'm not just saying that. It's, uh, it's, it's the truth. Come you on. You catch me on a good day. Who knows? <laughs> Bad Sean, day? Uh-oh. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on 48 Minutes this week. Sean, it's really a treat to have you with us. Hey, man, it's a pleasure. I mean... Uh, sitting around here talking hoops. I mean, what, what more could you do? Really? Yeah. Yeah, no, I we're agree. glad to have you here. And that's what we do best is talk NBA basketball here and hope everybody can stay up to date in 48 on all things around the association. So tonight, Sean, we're going to start off with our opening tips and I'm going to let World B get us started. Thank you, Ross. 
Through all the off-season moves and coaching turnover in the NBA, one thing appears to remain the same, and that is the situation with basketball in Los Angeles. But the question is, for how much longer? In Lakerland, they are coming off a somewhat surprising appearance in the Western Conference Finals, and their two biggest stars, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, aren't going anywhere before next season. But neither is getting any younger, and neither has played even 70 games since they joined the Lakers. In terms of a championship, the Clippers situation looks even more up in the air. With the health of their two stars, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, seemingly forever to question in question the rest of their careers. They do get Russell Westbrook back, so perhaps this could be the tipping point in getting the advantage between the L.A. teams. But the betting public doesn't consider either team to be significant challengers for a title. According to Bet Online, among Western Conference teams, the Lakers are tied with the Warriors for the third-best odds to win a championship, while the Clippers have the fifth-best odds out of the West. And if neither team gets a championship this upcoming season, both could see a significant overhaul of their respective rosters. Potentially, James, Davis, Leonard, and George could all be free agents after the 23-24 season. While many of the elite teams are in a win-now mode, for the two L.A. franchises, next season could be a win-or-else situation. Thanks, World B. Uh, I'm going to go next here. And um, I've been saying for many years that I believe the greatest all-around basketball player of all time is not Michael Jordan not Bill Russell, or even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I believe it's LeBron James. I've said why I feel this way many times, so I won't repeat my reasons now. But last week at the ESPY Awards, LeBron made an announcement that was more of a humble brag than a breaking news story. He's not retiring. (laughs) Surprise. His excellence after 20 years in the league is like nothing we've ever seen. Nobody really thought he was retiring because he has said that he wants to play in the NBA with his son, Bronny, which will require two more seasons from King James. What LeBron is retiring is the number six, his number last season, which the NBA has retired for all the teams in honor of Bill Russell. So he'll return to wearing number 23, which he wore in Cleveland and during his first three seasons in L.A., There may still be a handful of NBA players that have kind of been grandfathered in and can still wear number six, Alex Caruso, Kenyon Martin Jr., to name a couple, Uh, but nobody playing for the Lakers will ever wear it again. And when he finally hangs up his sneakers, sometimes after he passes the age of 40, it's highly likely that his number, I should say numbers, will be retired by three different franchises, the Cavaliers, number 23, the Heat number six for Mr. Russell and LeBron, and of course the Lakers, who might go all Kobe on us and retire six and 23 for LeBron. Sean Powell, any opening thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Well, you know, everyone thinks that the NBA season or basketball season officially ended with Summer League, and usually that's the case. But this year, I believe we have something called the World Championships. Now, I don't know if anybody other than the hardcore hoop addicts will watch. That's fine. But I just got to thinking, suppose there was a game, one game, between American-born players and foreign-born players. Who would win? Who would win? I know who would win, and it wouldn't even be close. The world would beat 
the USA. Now, you probably think I'm crazy. And maybe I would have been crazy 20 years ago. But let me just roll down the list of world players who would crush the USA. Yes, I said crush the USA if it was in a Ryder <laughs> Cup format. You ever heard of a guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo? Okay, yep, Giannis, Giannis. And who's going to join him on that front line? Oh, a guy named Nikola Jokic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that guy, MVP? Oh, yeah, yeah. And who else is going to join him on that? Joel Embiid. Oh, my goodness. How many MVPs are there? I lost count. Okay, we're going to put them, those three there. And what about the backcourt? A guy named Luka Doncic. And who's going to join Luka Doncic in the backcourt? Shea Gildas Alexander. Remember, he's Canadian. That counts. Or maybe it might be his countryman, a guy named Jamal Murray, who's coming off a NBA championship. Should I go any further? Yes, I should go some further. Pascal Siakam from Africa. Domantas Sabonis coming off that career year with the Sacramento Kings. What about Laurie Markin and the discovery last year with the Utah Jazz? So right away, you can put in LeBron. You can go with your little KD. You can go with your little Steph Curry. Go ahead, throw them all in there. I don't care. I don't care. The world is beating. The world is gaining on the USA. The world would beat the USA in a game like that. Oh, oh, oh. And by the way, I forgot to mention one last omission that I kind of need to throw in there for the world team. Guy named Victor Wembayama. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to mention him because I was thinking that's not a bad guy coming off the bench, you know, to to bolster the front line a little he, bit. He's like the, he's like the ninth man, you know, on this deep team. He's like the ninth man. We'll throw him in there, give him like you know, 10, 12 minutes. Is he gonna be like Christian Leitner in ninety two? Exactly. There you go. So so you know, okay. Are we talking about the last six or five most valuable players in that front line? Right. Giannis has two, doesn't he? Right. Giannis Joker, has two. Joker has two. has two. And, and uh, Joel has now one. one. I can't even remember the last MVP before it was an international guy. Who was? I mean, World yeah, I believe it know. was James Harden. Would it be Harden? Yeah, James Harden. Uh, well, he's... Just from another planet. He's not really from another country, but right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, but you, you you mean to tell me you don't like that team? Oh, and I, I do need to say Joe OMB does have dual residency. I mean, he is he has American citizenship, but he's not gonna play for Team USA. No, no. Why would you play for those scrubs? You're gonna play for the world team. He wants to win. He wants to along win. with along with the talent there, Sean, it's it's the youth of that group compared with who yes. the USA would throw out there. You mentioned all those names. All those names have got a lot of wear and tear on their tires. A lot of wear and tear. So it, it, tear. the name name recognition, the USA could probably hold up, but that's, you know, we didn't even throw an Anthony Davis potentially there who's got a lot of wear and tear on his own and still a young guy in this league. So, yeah, I, yep. I would totally agree with you on this one. Yep, yep, yep. Just, just um, thought-provoking stuff as usual from you. Thanks, thanks for thanks for your opening comments. Uh, Ross will hopefully be rejoining us in a moment or two, apparently having some technical difficulties. But in the great spirit of our point guard, Ross, we're going to just keep it rolling right into our first quarter right now. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what happened during the summer league. Uh, Sean, you were out there. Uh, 
Let's start with the fact that uh, the Cavaliers uh, took down the Rockets on Monday night. Isaiah Mobley, who's actually Evan's older brother, <laughs> uh, leads the way and could very well and is probably expected to join Evan on the Cavs roster this season. So we know Cleveland's already an established good team, playoff team, uh, had a tough time against the Knicks, but future is very bright there. But the Rockets look to me like a story that is really going to be kind of a breakout team this year. They're young guys like Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Jamari, Jamari Smith Jr., Alperin Shangun. They're going to be joined by rookies Amen Thompson, Cam Whitmore, and veterans Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, and our pal Uncle Jeff Green coming off his championship run in Denver, as well as their new head coach, Ime Udoka. Let me start with you, Sean. What, what are your thoughts about what you saw in the Summer League and, and any thoughts on what you expect out of Houston this season? Well, you, you named a lot of players there, uh, but the plain and simple fact is um, most, of that, most of those players were on the team last year, and they were a wreck. Plain and simple. They were a wreck. They were undisciplined. Um, they made bad decisions. <laughs> That's one reason why they ended up in the lottery. And uh, they just they were missing something. And uh, it was was one of those teams where you saw so much potential and everything. But potential gets a lot of coaches fired. As a matter of fact, (laughs) that's why Ime Adoka is there, (laughs) because of the potential. And so what I wonder is, is this team going to be wiser, more mature this year because of really two additions, Ime Adoka. Okay, who was a no-nonsense coach with the Boston Celtics? Can he bring that same approach to a young team? He really didn't have a like a young team in Boston. That was a mixture of youth, but mostly kind of veteran team. They were ready to win now. This Houston team's not ready to win now. And so how will that translate in the locker room with Houston? Uh, and you mentioned Fred Van Vliet. Fred is one of the true professionals in the game. I can't think of too many players who uh, I would rather have as my leader. That's how good he is. Mature. He's exactly what they did. Now, he came at a high price, but he is exactly what they needed. Point guard. Kevin Porter Jr. was not a point guard on this team. He made too many mistakes. He just wasn't. Point guards are like born. You know, they're born. You know, and Fred is a point guard. And I think he'll help this team. He'll be the bridge uh, until, uh, you know, they draft another point guard who probably be, have like a 10-year career. But I think Fred, a veteran, is coming at the right time. And I can't say enough about uh, uh, Thompson, Amon Thompson. He's a, speaking of maturity, I mean, this guy's coming into the league like he's 30 years old. Just the way he thinks, him and his brother, uh, high, high, high character. High character. Did I mention he has high character? High character. (laughs) So he is the type of young player you want on this team. He's the type of young player you want in that locker room. And hopefully he will rub off on his new teammates. So I like the additions by the Houston Rockets. You know, the veteran signing coming in, uh, you know, a a, a no-nonsense coach, and a rookie who's wiser beyond his years. I like that part. Now it just all has to mesh together. World B? Yeah, I'll tell you what, if there's – one thing the Rockets can do to improve their lot in this league, it is improve their shooting. They were easily the worst shooting team in the league last year, both uh, if you look at it from effective field goal percentage or if you want to look at it from three-point percent. I mean, they, they were at the bottom. And while Fred Van Vliet is, a, as Sean said, a true pro and uh, 
Uh, no question about that. He's coming off his worst shooting season from the perimeter, uh, going to a team that was the worst shooting team in the league. The, the Raptors were 28th in the league in shooting last year. So it's not as if uh, they picked up somebody from uh, coming from a successful run in the league as far as when it comes to shooting. So I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach on this. Uh, they're, they're way, way young, or they were way young last year. You know, them and the Magic and the Pistons were the three youngest teams. If you look at it by rookies, second-year players, however you want to look at it, combine them. They were among the, you know, there was those three teams last year. So there's obviously room to, for them to grow, room for them to develop. But it begins with it, it begins with their shooting. When they start shooting better, their world gets a lot better, as it, as it does for most teams, but particularly for the Rockets in this case. We know that Ime Udoka, you don't get minutes with him unless you play some defense as well. So, uh, Sean, what what do you feel like? Uh, do you do you see like some good defensive potential with some of the guys that he can run out there? I mean, you know, you saw a little bit of uh, Jabari uh, Jabari Smith Jr. Um, in the uh, summer league a little bit last season. He kind of came on a little bit uh, after the All Star break. Speaking about their poor shooting, he he was right up there with them. Uh, and the poor shooting had to do with more. I thought was shot selection. Uh, these guys just you know. And, and well, I mean, their history before the NBA, they were actually decent shooters, but they just had poor, poor shot selection. And that and that really can drag a shooting percentage down defense wise. I mean, I don't know. I don't see that rim protector. I don't see that tough lockdown perimeter defender as a young team. That's one of the things that comes along later is is the effort and the ability to play defense. Um, so again, with, uh, you know, Bruce, you said it, Ime Adoka, um, is a guy, is a guy who really preaches defense. He's going to preach that from day one, but again, you know, with a young team, you wonder what's going to go in one ear and stay in rather than go out <laughs> on the other ear. And I think with Houston, this is a work in progress and we can talk about Van Vliet. We can talk about Udoka, maybe Jalen Green takes the next step. We can talk about all that stuff. But I still think this team is another year or two away from us really taking, seeing the results of all this growth. Okay. Well, you know, certainly the fans in Houston are going to be uh, excited to, to take that next step forward. And uh, Ross, we were just uh, discussing the kind of pluses and minuses of the Houston Rockets uh, uh, as we're kind of working our way through the first quarter here. Uh, any thoughts that you have based on what you saw from uh, the Rockets during the summer league? I mean, I thought the Rockets had an incredible summer league. I mean, let's start with Cam Whitmore, who was named the uh, MVP of summer league. I mean, I had talked about this guy maybe being a top five talent in this year's draft. He obviously slides due to the injury concerns all the way down into the early 20s. And it looks to be a big steal here for the Houston Rockets that just con continue to collect young assets. Of course, along with the young talent that they have on this roster, they went ahead and added some very valuable veteran pieces that could be leaders on this team. And that starts with, of course, the big signing in uh, Fred Van Fleet. Uh, Dylan Brooks, obviously he gets a bad rap around the league with some of his antics, but you know, he's coming from a very successful program in the Memphis Grizzlies. He brings a lot of toughness as a two-way player and can certainly instill a certain accountability 
uh, with some of the younger guys that want to be able to compete at the level he's been able to compete at. And uh, of course, they got a, a well-respected coach in Ime Udoka. I mean, this guy has been uh, a culture changer uh, and well-praised with his time with the San Antonio Spurs. Obviously had a very successful first year with the Boston Celtics, and uh, he may even be a steal for the Houston Rockets as the new head coach. So lots of things are on the up and up for the Houston Rockets, and I think they're really in a good position here to even make a big move too. I mean, they're going to have so many different versatile pieces on this roster that I think a few of them are expendable. And uh, come trade deadline, if they're in the hunt for, let's say, a play-in seed this year, it might be worth – taking that gamble and getting some of these younger, more talented guys, some playoff experience. Cool. All right. So Ross, you're our point guard. Uh, so handing the ball back, putting the ball back in your hands. Why don't you uh, take us into the second quarter here? Yeah. Heading into the second quarter, Sean, I uh, would love to pick your brain here on the current problem in Portland. Of course, they've got some talented uh, young guards and that starts with the, uh, Scoot Henderson, who they drafted third overall. They've got Anthony Simons, who took a big leap last year. But now they're having a problem with their veteran and Damian Lillard, who uh, has asked for a change of scenery, Miami being the specific one here. And uh, would be very curious to get your thoughts in, in, on, on the entire situation. And, uh, you know, do you think this will work out before the start of training camp? Or is this something that's going to extend into the season? Well, let me quote the uh, the great Branch Rickey, who, as you know, is a talent scout for the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers. And he said something that all general managers should heed. It's better to trade a guy a year too early than a year too late. And I think when you look at when you look at this situation with Damon Lillard, it could have all been avoided had they simply traded him last year. Uh, I, I just think that I don't know why they were holding on him for too long. And look, I think the world of Dame as a player and a person, well, as a scorer and a person, I mean, but the problem with Dame is that he's a 6'2 point guard. He doesn't protect the rim. He's not a great defender. He's a good passer, but he's never leading the league in assists or anything like that. The one thing he does extremely well is he can score. Tell me how many teams have won an NBA championship with that guy being the best player. You want to say Isaiah Thomas? Fine, but Isaiah Thomas was a terrific defender, a terrific defender, and Isaiah Thomas was among the assist leaders in the NBA. I mean, who else you want to think of? Chauncey Billups? I don't think he was the best player on that Detroit Pistons team. So the bottom line, it has been proven in the NBA. You cannot win when a player like that is your best player. And I thought when they traded uh, C.J. McCollum to New Orleans, it was the right time to trade Dame and get that haul back. They didn't do it. And I can understand why. Dame means so much to the Portland community. He's a great guy, you know, great to have on your team. But if your goal is to win a championship, he's he can't be your best player. And they couldn't find anyone better. Portland is not a free agent destination. They didn't really have enough assets to trade for another disgruntled star. Things like, you know, disgruntled stars kind of dictate where they want to go. Anthony Davis kind of dictated where he wanted to go. And in L.A., James Harden kind of dictated where he wanted to go, first to Brooklyn and then to Philadelphia. No run-up stars trying to maneuver his way to Portland, okay? So let's just get that out of the way first. Now what the Blazers do? Well, first of all, what they shouldn't do is to rush into any decision. Why? Dame's on the contract for multiple more years. He's not going anywhere, right? Yeah. I, could, I could even wait up until the trade deadline, 
I got to get what I want. And if they can't get what they want from the Miami Heat right now, Tyler Hero and some filler and some number one picks, then why are you in a rush to trade him? Just wait. The NBA is weird. Things happen all the time where suddenly there's another team that had that needs to make a move. And maybe that's a that's a third team in terms of getting a trade partner. Or maybe that team can give you something more than Miami can give you for Dane. The bottom line is the Portland Trailblazers are in control here. And that's rare in today's NBA with, with really, you know, the, the, the era of player empowerment. They need to take their time and they should take their time before they decide where to trade Dame and what to get for him. You know, Dame really and his agent, uh, I think it's Aaron Goodwin, yeah. uh, really kind of put Portland in a box here because I think it was per- – and I talked about this a little bit on last week's show. I think Dame has done damage to his legacy by the way he's kind of handled this situation a little bit here too. Not that Portland hasn't screwed it up, but good. They have. Um because what you said, I mean, you know, better to trade him a little sooner than a little later. But Dame took the money, right? He wanted the money, and and it's within his right to ask for trade, although he did not negotiate a no-trade clause, so he doesn't can't really demand it. Portland seems to be doing their best to try and accommodate his wishes out of loyalty to him, and that's commendable. But I agree with you. They their friend, you know, Joe Cronin has to do what's best for the franchise, for the players who are still there, for the coaches, for the employees of the team, for the fans who don't want to give up, you know, Dame for pennies on the dollar. Okay. He has to he has to do the right thing for the franchise. And and I feel that, you know, Aaron Goodwin and Dame, by demanding a trade to one team only, um, really uh, you know, look can't blame them. It's a business. You do what you got to do. But uh, it seems that Portland is trying, but you're right. They don't have to accept like nickels and dimes for that guy. And and Sean, kind of just to get back to just like, if, if, the, if, if there's no rush in this and you're going to start the season and you've got this very young, talented 19 year old Scoot Henderson, just waiting in the loom to take over here. I mean, they got the perfect guy in the draft. Do you think this could really kind of hinder his development or just kind of the culture in Portland moving forward? Or do you not have concerns about that just because Chauncey is the one leading this group? And I think Chauncey is a a tremendous coach for this current team. Yeah, I think Scoot Henderson is one of these kids who's going to come in and pretty much be a man right away. I mean, he's got the body. He's got the maturity. Uh, He didn't go to college, but he kind of lived in a professional uh, culture at least for a year and did what and I, I can tell you he has a great great family behind him so he's got the structure I wouldn't worry about that with this guy uh, the only thing I would worry about is whether or not he's going to it, whether his shot is going to translate on the NBA level uh, that's probably going in the weakest part of his game but in terms of the maturity and the wherewithal I think this guy wants to be a star and, you know, you hear a lot of people in Charlotte, a lot of I told you so's waiting to pounce in Charlotte for the Charlotte Hornets passing him up. I think this guy's going to be, going to be pretty good. If Dame is still on the team, then I mean, look, Dame is a high character guy, very professional. Um, I don't think he's going to cause problems. I think he'll be patient and all the things will be that he, he's not that tight. It's not in his DNA to be a disruptive force. That's not going to happen. Uh, he just has to be patient. Portland has to be patient. The bottom line is this also. The, the trailblazers aren't going anywhere, whether they 
have them at training camp or they don't. They're not going right. anywhere. This team is not ready to go anywhere. This yeah. team is in the belt. And that's why I was shocked when they gave Jeremy Grant that contract. Why? 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 <laughs> I mean, if you, if you if you didn't sign him, if, how many wins is he going to mean for that team? One? One, two? two. Yeah. Why, did, why did you reset? For what? Give me a great reason. Whether you thought Dane was coming back or not, give me a great reason why you gave. But, uh, by the way, good for Jeremy Grant. But if you're Portland, give me a great reason why you gave him that money. I, I can't think of one. You're not ready to win now. You're not ready to win. Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit, if we could for a moment, uh, about Chauncey. Uh, as a mentor, I doubt there's anybody that could be better for Scoot Henderson than Chauncey Billups. I mean, he's a personal favorite of mine. We worked together for a few years. I think if there's anybody who can kind of navigate through this turmoil, uh, he's not only a was it a was he not also a great player? I think he's a improving coach. He's one of the superior human beings I think I've ever met in the NBA family, and I believe he should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, what do you guys think? Is is Chauncey Billups destined for Springfield one day? Will be. Uh, I think he's in the Hall of Very Good. I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame. Now, if he gets in, more power to him, obviously. Um, I look at Hall of Fames, be it whatever sport you want, I look at it as, did you dominate your position or were you a dominant player at your position for an extended period of time? Now, period is obviously a relative term, so it can only be judged by how you want to do it. And I don't know if Chauncey qualifies – uh, but he may, he may, he, it, you know, Bruce thinks he b- should be in. I'm on the fence. I would probably lean on the other side. Uh, doesn't mean he didn't have a heck of a career. And, you know, I'll always think of him as a great Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I would go ahead and say he's not. I mean, I love Mr. Big Shot. I was a huge fan of that Detroit Pistons team. Uh, what I give Chauncey a ton of credit for is, you know, those that remember from the Pistons days kind of fail to forget how long it took him to become who he was. I mean, he was an NBA journeyman in the NBA for quite some time, kind of bounced around trying to find his role and uh, find his niche with an organization. He was fortunate enough to find that on that uh, Detroit Pistons team and uh, obviously became one of the big leaders vocally and uh, actively on the court uh, throughout that championship run and what led up to them getting to a championship caliber team. But as far as Hall of Fame is concerned, um, I, I can't put them, put them in, in, in with that company there. What about you, Sean? Yeah, Bruce, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You know how I feel about you, Bruce. I love you, my man, but <laughs> I got I to gotta go. I, I got to agree with everybody else. Uh, if there was a Hall of Fame for leaders, I'd put him in there. First ballot. I mean, of, of course. I mean, this guy – for what he did in Detroit, also Denver now. And he's from Denver. He yep. went back and played for the Nuggets. He was really good. Uh, and you can see his leadership as a coach. Uh, absolutely. But I never thought that he was ever like the best player on his team. Even in Detroit, I'm going to think, you know, well, you got Rasheed Wallace. You know, I mean, he's probably the best player on that team. A couple others. Rip Hamilton. And Chauncey Phillips was right there. Don't get me wrong. But I never got the feeling that, you know, wow, this guy. And and also the, one, the other thing about the Hall of Fame is 
were you ever the best player at your position or one of the best players at your position over a bit of fair, you know, during your peak years at least? And I also never really got, I mean, Allen Iverson, that was better than, you know, you can go down a few. And by the way, this is no mean to diminish Chauncey Billups. No, uh, but, but I just want to say, yeah, I would want to keep him in that context. Fantastic leader, very good player, not a Hall of Famer. All right. All right, you know, I, I, I'm i outnumbered on this one. Chance, if you're watching or listening, I did my best for you, bro. Uh, now, Bruce, you're closer to Springfield than the rest of us, so maybe that gets you, you know, a little bit yeah. more of an advantage to help out Chauncey in this one. I'm still trying to figure out. Sean, we had Mark Spears on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's going in to get the Kurt Gowdy Media Award, uh, you know, in August. And uh, – He's demanding that I show up, and I'm still trying to figure that one out. I mean, I only live about 45 minutes away from the hoop hall, but I have to figure out a way because Spears will, you know, probably kill me if I don't show up there. So uh, if anybody has any ideas for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're on, your own, pal. You're on your own, pal. Oh, <laughs> I thought you guys <laughs> loved me. All right. Press Are we ready party. for halftime? I was going to say, it, it, it's been it's been a tough uh, minute and a half here for Bruce. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick <laughs> break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter. Bruce, you looked a little bit refreshed here. We're ready to go. And let's get with uh, let's get to some quick hits around the association with Sean here. Sean, we're going to start off in Philadelphia with James Harden, and uh, just curious to get your perspective if you think there's actually a realistic market for his services. Is this another, you know, Clippers or bust situation? Since it seems like he wants to go to the Clippers, but the Clippers don't want to trade any of those younger, valuable pieces like a Terrence Mann. What's your whole take on this trade demand? And do you think he'll end up staying with Philly or? Will he find a place elsewhere? You know, I'm just tired of it. Was it every year James Harden is demanding? Yes, yes. demanding. I mean, come on now. I'm just kind of tired. And usually, to me, that's a sign of desperation from someone who just there's a sense of basketball insecurity there, where you're just looking for the home, the right fit, and everything, and you just can't find it. So you feel that well, maybe I'll go to another team, and then another team, and another team. And the sad thing is. I mean, how many more teams is he going to play for? This is a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, you know, MV, former MVP, one of the great playmakers that I've seen in the last 20 years. It's a shame now he's just going team hopping, you know, yep. and just looking for that happiness. But anyway, to answer your question, uh, I would say a good fit for him would be the Clippers. But Philadelphia's just not giving away. Daryl Moore, he's not, he's not he's the GM of, of the Sixers. He's not wired that way. I don't know what you can get for James Harden at this point in your career. I would imagine that some teams might be a little concerned with his physical condition. He's, he's never been a guy who's in the greatest of shape. And now he's, you know, in his mid thirties. Um, and also he's a, he's a weird player in that you have to structure your team around him a little bit because he dominates the ball. I mean, if you're the Clippers, you've got Paul George here, if you've got Kawhi Leonard, I know those guys aren't always healthy, but is that going to be the right mix? I'm not so sure. Yeah. And, and real quickly here, just to kind of double down on what you said here about, you know, James Harden, you know, wanting out and it's just being strange that it's a year to year thing with him is, you know, how strange is it to you that the league MVP wants him back? The, I mean, he keeps saying, I want James to play with me. I mean, this has to be the first time in NBA history we have a league MVP begging a star to stay with him. I mean, that just doesn't even seem like it should be possible. 
Well, I just think uh, you're talking Joel Embiid. I mean, what's his alternative? I think Joel Embiid might be a little bit nervous. If I lose James Harden, you know, what next? Who's next? Uh, Embiid really wants to win the championship. He saw what, what Nikola Jokic just did. He wants that to happen in Philadelphia. I'm just not so sure right now. I actually thought the version, and I know World B, you want to check in on this too. I actually thought the version that we saw of James last year was sort of the best version of who he can be as a player right now. Yeah, his scoring numbers were down a little bit, but that was okay because he led the league in assists or he was right near the top of the league lead in assists. Uh, and I believe World B, in one of our shows this season, pointed out that the screen and roll scoring efficiency between he and Embiid was pretty much number one in the NBA. Was it not, World? Yeah, they were one of the best in the league. I mean, that's, you know, I mentioned it last week or the week before. If James Harden has designs on wanting to win a title or have a shot at a title, why is he positioning himself to go out west or anything? He's got a, I think when they, you know, when he plays with MD, when they run the court together, their efficiency was offensively, was about 120 points per 100 possessions. That's unbelievably efficient. And he was one of the reasons. When he was on the court, the Sixer offense was gelling. They're just, you know, all his uh, uh, antics, for lack of a better word, aside, he was a solid player on the court for the 76ers. I don't see why he wants to leave to go somewhere else. He's, I don't think he's a better shot at winning a championship than he would be if he just stayed with the 76ers with, like you mentioned, the league MVP, by the way. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a head-scratcher for me as well, just kind of figuring out why he thinks he all of a sudden needs yet another change. But moving along here, we're going to get to where I am here locally here, Sean, in Phoenix. Obviously, just last week, they traded away Cameron Payne, who was their last true point guard on their roster. They were able to collect three Futures second round picks, which at least gives them some draft capital as they did not have much of that left after all the big wheeling and dealing they've done to get Kevin Durant, Brad Beal, and kind of have this three-star lineup of uh, Devin Booker, KD, and Beal here. So my question to you is kind of just looking up and down this roster now. I mean, I think they've had an impressive offseason. They've added a ton of great uh, role pieces to this team. Uh, been quite impressed with what they've been able to do. But my question to you is, can they survive and thrive without a true point guard? Because it sounds like they're going to be starting Brad Beal as the one this year. Well, obviously, that's the uh, that's the big question. That might even be the championship question for this team. Um, if I'm Phoenix, I'm not going to panic right now because a lot of things can happen between now and the trade deadline. A lot of things can actually happen between now and the buyout period. So, you know, you just never know. They might be able to pick up somebody, you know, before the playoffs start. But in the meantime, I mean, you talk about Brad Beal. I mean, he's a decent ball handler, but he's never played the position from a pure standpoint. Did he have the ball in his hand in Washington? Of course. Did he dribble it across midcourt? Of course. But you're asking him to do that for a fair an extended period of time. And then, you know, you've got some quick defensive point guards. How many times is he going to get stripped? You know, uh, having said all that, there's two things that's in his favor. Number one, you've got two other players in that team. That's Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. They can create their own shots. Usually you need a point guard on your team when you've got, a, you know, players in your team who 
for whatever reason, can't create their own. So you've got to basically help them out. That's not the case in Phoenix. I mean, KD, once you cross midcourt, you throw it to KD. He's good. He he doesn't need to be set up. And same thing with Devin Booker. And let me just say one other thing about Devin Booker. Devin Booker for a long time was his team's point guard, right, before Chris Paul came. And he did a a pretty decent job. So I think Phoenix is okay. Uh, I'm not going to worry about them. And they feel they need a point guard. They can wait. They can be patient. A lot of things can happen during the NBA season. You know, one of the guys that I'm always curious about there is uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, number one overall pick in 2018, uh, had a rough relationship with Monty Williams when Monty was coaching there. Uh, now you have Frank Vogel coming in there. Um, I would think that it's too soon for Phoenix to give up on DeAndre Ayton. What, what do you think his future is uh, as a member of the team, Sean? I think he deserves a chance to see how it works out with Frank Vogel. Um, I, I, I think you got to give him that chance. Monty Williams is a good coach, but Monty Williams can be a little headstrong. Uh, and he will even admit as much. Like when he was in uh, New Orleans, uh, he was he was headstrong. He had to learn some lessons. And maybe in this situation, they butted heads. So give him a shot. But Frank, Frank Vogel is a mild-mannered coach. He was when he won a championship in L.A. He had to deal with big egos there. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, you know, uh, Rajon Rondo. You know, he had, some, <laughs> he had some egos in that locker room. But he found a, made a way to make it work. And Aiden, yeah, you're right. I mean, who who else are you going to play in a post if he leaves? You know, you got to have someone there. You know, who's going to play Jokic? You know, because you're going to have to go through Denver. So, no, I wouldn't give up on him. Uh, I would give him the chance to uh, mesh with the new coach and let's see what he can do. Well, do you got anything for Phoenix or uh, well, you all good uh, there? Well, a couple of things real quick. One, if DeAndre Ayton, we mentioned before, I mentioned before, if DeAndre Ayton – didn't like the fact he wasn't getting touches beforehand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he, what, what his reaction is going to be once the season starts. You know uh, now, and the other thing is, Frank Vogel is a noted defensive coach, and he's going to be put to the test with this group here because this is not exactly lockdown city when it comes to defense with this group. So he's gonna he's going to be uh, really earning his money to try and get these guys to play defense and. Uh, we obviously these guys. You would figure these guys can put the ball in the basket and outscore teams, but uh, defensively they're going to they're going to be uh, they're going to put Frank to the test here. I think. Yeah, it's fun and interesting times here in Phoenix, and uh, sure looking forward to the season to see how all this plays out. Now the last and final guy I do want to talk about here, Sean, and uh, it's Bruce's guy, Jalen Brown. He's still not come to terms with the Celtics on a supermax extension. Some Boston fans, much like Bruce, are getting pretty antsy here, um, but there could be, you know, a few reasons for the delay. You know, what are some things you think they might be haggling over, and do you have concerns if you were if you were a Celtics fan, would you be uh, concerned at this point? Well, first of all, I think the world of uh, Jalen Brown, I think he's a solid two-way player. Um, he works hard. He's made himself into a very good player, uh, all NBA. It's sort of like a breakout season for him. He came up short in the playoffs yet, but you know, that, that, that sort of thing happens. I think what's happening now in the NBA is that teams are having a hard time dealing with the sticker shock of the new era NBA. When all of a sudden, you know, you're getting guys extensions and the last year that extension is like $65, 68000000 million. That's sticker shock, right? Yep. That's the first thing. 
The second thing when it comes to Jaden Brown, he's not top tier in the NBA. He's the next level, right? And the, the NBA owners and general managers have a morbid fear of these next level guys demanding top level salaries, you know, because now all of it, like a Bradley Beal, for example, yep. because now it's tough to trade him if you have to trade him. You know, nobody wants a guy who's overpaid, even though he's a good player. That doesn't mean he's not a not a good player, but his pay is just be it's like, you know, Hall of Fame pay. And I think there's a little bit of a sticker shot going on right here. Third thing is, if you give him that extension, you can't trade him, I believe, until the end of the season or next season or something like that. I got to be clear on my rules. I know they can't trade him right away. So if, for example, um, you know, you're trying to get a Damian Lillard. Well, guess what? You can't throw him into, you can't throw Jalen Brown into the mix. So I think you have those things going on here. And finally, uh, what's Jalen Brown's options right now? You know, uh, if you don't pay, extend me, I'm going to do what? You're going to come back next year and play on your final year and be an unrestricted free agent. That's it. And Boston still can pay you more than anybody else next summer. Yep. So again, I'm not in there with Brad Stevens and, you know, Jalen Brown, his agent, really don't really know what's going on, why he hasn't been signed already. But if they wanted to give him the Supermax, they would have given it to him already, and he would have signed it. My thing about Jalen Brown is, and I'm a huge Jalen Brown fan, and I like his game a lot. I know that there are some things that he needs to do a little bit better. But with the departure of Marcus Smart, okay, and the fact that Al Horford will soon be aging out a little bit, Jalen Brown has leadership characteristics in my mind. This guy is a leader in your locker room. He's a mature guy. He's a highly polished individual. He's smart. He's savvy. He's He's got skills that go well beyond the world of basketball. And I think when you have a guy like that on your team, um, he's going to bring, you know, a level of professionalism. And with, you're always cycling younger guys into the mix, whatever. And I really think Jalen Brown is going to be the leader of this team, more so even than Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is a better player at this point in time, but I wouldn't say that he's more mature than Jalen Brown. I would I would give that to Jalen Brown. So for me, uh, hopefully they can come to terms pretty quickly. Uh, you're right. Jalen doesn't really have any options, but you don't want a guy that 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 is that potentially influential not being a happy camper. So hopefully they're going to find the right sort of number that they can all be happy with there. You know, potentially this is a Celtics franchise that could have $600 million locked into two players in another year or so between Tatum and Brown. Uh, if they both sign their, their mega deals or whatever. I'm just real curious, real quickly with Sean, how much is, we haven't seen it yet. Cause I don't think it's taken effect yet, but that second uh, luxury tax, thing with the new collective bargaining agreement, that problem, that apron or whatever. How much is that on the minds of franchises, do you think, when oh, it comes to this stuff? Because that's a big deal. That is a huge deal. Nobody wants – the Warriors don't even want to touch that. You know, that's why they, they were happy trading Jordan Poole after giving him a contract extension just the previous summer. That way they're off the hook. They'll take Chris Paul for one year, even though Chris Paul is, what, going to be 39 years old and Jordan Poole's only 25 big 14, 15 year difference. They didn't want to be on the hook for that contract. And teams are going to be mortified if they ever fall into that, that apron that puts them, I mean, they're right. The hefty check, for example, 
If you're in that little tax and you sign a guy who's making, say, $5 million, which is nothing, he's really costing you like $25 million, you know, just to give you an example. You don't want to be in that situation. Owners didn't look. I mean, particularly before the next TV contract, you want to be writing those checks. Now, let's just see what the next TV contract is going to do. But that's not until 2025 and see how much, uh, you know, the owners are going to be able to stuff in their pocket. Then maybe you might have a team or two that's championship built. The owner might say, "Okay, I'll bite the bullet for a year or two. But they don't want any part of that, my man. Yeah, I'll tell you, a team that might be dealing with the second apron if they don't make some moves here soon is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Those guys have so much young talent. I mean, they only got a couple of years to figure out who they want to keep and who, who they probably can't keep. Do uh, you have any thoughts on the Thunder real quick here before we get to our fourth quarter, Sean? I mean, they just keep continuing to develop top-tier talent. Yeah, uh, I, I love I love what they're doing. If I'm Oklahoma City, I'm not worried about all the talent I'm bringing in. And, you know, how it fits and I got too many young. Oh, no, 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 no. You bring it all in and you figure it out later. You know, the bottom line is don't look at it as you're adding young players, young talent. You got to look at it as you're adding assets, right? Assets for you to keep or assets for you to trade. If you're Oklahoma City, you have a war chest of future number one picks uh, coming. I think the Clippers still owe them too. Uh, Oklahoma, I mean, uh, New Orleans probably owes them. Who everybody owes them. I think everybody in the NBA owes yeah. Oklahoma City a first round pick. <laughs> so now you've got thing you can maneuver now because no free agents are coming to Oklahoma City, right? So the best way to get them is to is to draft and develop them and then pay them the way they paid Shea, or maybe you can trade for them using some of your assets. So this is how they're going to build. I just think I love what they're doing. Obviously, you know, Chet Holmgren, I got to see him in his so-called rookie year this year. And you just figure all that stuff out later. Absolutely. And as we get to our fourth quarter, Sean, we want to play a quick game with you that we like to call word association. And of course, at the top of the segment, we discussed uh, Isaiah Mobley. Uh, leading the charge and getting the Cavaliers to the NBA Summer League Championship and winning it all there in Vegas. Um, so the first guy we're going to give you is Evan Mobley. And how would you describe him? And if you could give us just a brief detail into him. I haven't seen much of him other than, you know, just, uh, I mean, look, he's a, he's a good player, obviously. Mm-hmm. I just need him. I need to see him develop a little bit more off the dribble, uh, maybe a mid-range shot. Uh, a little bit more offensive-minded, but defense is there, hustle is there, work ethic is there. Yeah, but when I say I haven't seen that much of him, is that they have him kind of like in a slot. I mean, he's not getting the ball. You got Donovan Mitchell there. You know, he's not creating or anything like that. I want to see a little bit more of a well-rounded game from him. All right. Nice. All right. Can I can I throw out the next one Go to Sean it. here? Right. Yep. This is kind of like, you know, th- this is a it, – it's a combination – you know, a word association about a, a brother's tandem. So I'm going to throw out the holidays. You mean Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's? <laughs> oh, also, you're also, also known as Aaron, Justin, and Drew. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, kudos. Let me just say something about their father, who I believe is in, he's approaching his 60s, or he's in his wellness 60s. He celebrates every birthday by dunking. When your father, when your father, can dunk on his birthday, you know, the, where you got the athletic genes. I love the holidays. I love Drew Holiday, everything he represents. Good guy, high character, professional. 
and his brothers uh, have, have done very well in the NBA for their talent level. Um, I just think that's a great family and uh, just kudos to the family. Sean, what do you think of when I mentioned the Ball family, Lonzo and LaMelo? We'll leave his father out of this mix. Yeah. I just, I feel so bad about Lonzo. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see him again. Uh, he's not going to play this. He didn't play last season. He's not going to play this upcoming season. Uh, he just had, that injury just must be something else. And what's the real shame is that he, when he first got to Chicago, he, I thought he played his best basketball, even though the numbers didn't really reflect it as much as it might've done in Los Angeles, but they didn't win in LA. And I thought he was just a perfect fit for that team in Chicago. He was just filling his way, handling the ball and everything. And this happened. So I just feel bad. Uh, but LaMelo, I think, what, he just signed a big uh, rookie contract extension. Uh, I, I think he's, he's one of those players who is not only good, but he's exciting. And that's quite the combination. Uh, and if LaMelo never plays ball again, or maybe he's not the same player he used to be, uh, uh, Lonzo, that means it's not the same player used to be. I think LaMelo will take up the slap. All right, Sean, thanks for having some fun with us there with a uh, brother tandem of word association on tonight's show. Now we're going to get into our final thoughts. And Bruce, I'll let you start us off. Thank you very much. I've always been partial to the Bruce B's of the world. Being one myself, I believe we must all stick together. My good friend and former colleague Bruce Bowen is my favorite Bruce B, and his role on three Spurs World Championship teams was critical. He was a tough defender, a dangerous if streaky three-point shooter, and was considered an ideal teammate. Those characteristics also apply to another Bruce B. That would be Bruce Brown, a key player in the Denver Nuggets championship run who signed a free agent deal with the Indiana Pacers. His new two-year contract will pay him more in his first season than he made in his first five seasons combined. Nobody considers him a star in the traditional sense, but he is a star in his role. And his teammates and the fans in Indiana will embrace him because everything he does on the court is for the good of the team. And it's great to see him be rewarded for playing basketball the right way. Well said there, Bruce. And yeah, I think Indiana is in store for a lot of surprise from Bruce Brown and the energy that he brings, uh, not only to the fans, but also to his teammates. World B. Thank you, Ross. Uh, Sean touched on this a little bit, but while championship aspirations may still be a season away, season or two away, if you're an NBA fan, you cannot help but like what is happening in Oklahoma City. Coming off a season in which they improved their win total by 16 games and picked up a win in the play-in tournament, the Thunder continue to build towards the future, and it doesn't appear as if they're going to be taking a step back in the process. Already, the Thunder have an all-star in Shea Gildas Alexander, who has the potential to reach superstardom. Last year's number two pick, Chet Holmgren, hasn't looked over Matt since he first stepped on the court in the Summer League last year, and he should be a contender for Rookie of the Year this season. And this week, Oklahoma City signed head coach Mark Dagnall to a multi-year extension. And then there are the draft picks. Potentially, there could be 20 in the first round over the next six years and 22 in the second round over the next seven years. While different rules and conditions make it unlikely that OKC will have or use all these picks as more draft capital than any other team in the NBA has, 
and it has one of the best GMs in Sam Presti to try and make it work for them. You don't have to focus on the Thunder when you're looking for a championship contenders next season, but it may be the last time for a while you get to look past this team. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more there. And uh, as you mentioned, Sean did uh, touch on that a little earlier there. So well said there will be. Sean, do you have a final thought here tonight? Yeah, I noticed you guys didn't ask me about the Zeller brothers, but we're gonna I'm gonna forgive you for that. You know, <laughs> uh, you know we're coming up uh, on the 10th year of what? I I would say for you guys to guess, but she'll never get it. It is the 10th year for Adam Silver being commissioner of the NBA. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The 10th that went by fast. It went by fast. Look. When the first thing you're dealing with is Donald Sterling, yeah. <laughs> so right out of the gate, when he took a job in February uh, uh, February of 2014, he had to deal with the Donald Sterling saga. And that just put his feet to the fire right away. I thought Adam Silver came out of that looking very, very good, particularly for a rookie. But it didn't end there. You know, he had to deal with the death of Kobe Bryant and trying to, you know, really be a healing force for all NBA fans. And what about the pandemic and the bubble when he had to, you know, that the season was put on hold and then he hastily had to put together uh, a bubble at the, on the Disney campus to try to continue that season. He didn't want to lose the season and he did not lose the, lose the season. The Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James got a championship. Uh, the new labor contract. And by the way, there was no interruption. There was no strike, no this, no that. That labor contract came and went just like that. Nobody suffered. Everybody was good. He also put together the play in tournament. And I think by all counts, it has been a success. It has been a success. We're excited for teams fighting for the last couple playoff spots. Now, of course, he's got the in-season tournament, and some people were a little bit skeptical about it, but I think it's going to be a pretty good idea. I think it's going to fly. I think people will get it, and it'll be very interesting to see who are the last two teams standing and how hard they play. Finally, he has Victor Wembanyama coming in from France. This is the, you know, the, the most hype rookie since LeBron James, and how will he handle that? I think the NBA to this date has done everything fantastic, first of all, by uh, making sure <clears throat> he goes to the San Antonio Spurs. I know it was just a game of chance. I'm just kidding there. There was no frozen envelope or anything like that. And I think now for Adam Silver, the next thing on his plate is the biggest thing on his plate. The new TV contract or the new broadcast, I shouldn't say TV because you never know what, what format it's going to be on. The new broadcast rights in 2025. This is going to shape the financial future of the NBA for the foreseeable future. And beyond that, expansion. This man has done a lot, I think, in 10 years. Job well done, but the job's just getting started. Well said there, Sean. It's been uh, quite a while, uh, quite quite a ride with Adam Silver as commissioner, and I think we're very lucky to have him leading the charge because, as you mentioned, he's done a lot of great things for the game of basketball, uh, not just here in the NBA, but worldwide as this game continues to explode across the globe. As for my final thought, I'll keep it real quick here. Um, joke's kind of on me. I was going to mention that We've now set a record high here in Phoenix, 19 straight days of 110-plus temperatures, which is a new record. Brad Beal's posting about it on social media, 116-degree day. Welcome to Phoenix, Brad. 
And uh, here I am uh, starting tonight's podcast in the garage, and then my computer overheats and uh, have a little technical difficulty as uh, I missed most of the first quarter. So I want to apologize to you, Sean. Really appreciate you being with us. I want to apologize to our listeners and uh, guess lesson learned. It's too hot to be uh, podcasting <laughs> in the garage. So if you wanted any further proof of how hot it is here, my computer won't work if I go outside. But, uh, Sean, Wait a minute. Your we... computer, your computer crept out during the show. I, I must yeah. have missed that. Oh yeah. my goodness! You're a smooth operator, Bruce. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't expect you to notice that. But uh, Sean, we want to thank you so much for uh, joining tonight's show and taking the time out of your night to be with us here. Uh, how can our listeners follow your work, and how can they find you on social media? Yes, uh, my Twitter handle is Powell to the People. P O W E L L. The number two. D-A, people. That's and right. obviously you can find me on NBA.com. Uh, and when the season starts, occasionally on NBA TV, I look forward to it. And I got to thank you guys. This has been a, a pleasure. I appreciate the camaraderie. Uh, sorry about that in Phoenix. I understand. You know, <laughs> Russell, hey, man, it gets it's hot there. But we'll be appreciate you, man. And, you know, Bruce, you know, you my man. Same awesome. here, bro. Well, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.